All right. Well, while we're getting situated, I just want to say uh, that I am extremely grateful to be back here again. I always enjoy uh, these trips to be with you. And uh, I hope that you are benefiting, um, as am I, from our studies in the book of Luke. We're going to start Luke chapter 5 today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to that place, um, I would appreciate it. I would appreciate your continued prayers as I preach for strength. Um, I don't sleep well in thunderstorms, and so last night was a bit of a restless night for me, but I would ask that you would silently pray for me as I share with you that God would endow me with His strength and that I would be able to persevere. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, before we begin, I just want to open in a word of prayer, so let's do that now. Father God, we uh, thank you for your priv- the privilege of being in your house today. I thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word. Imperfect though I am, you have called me to share your word, and I am so thrilled to be doing that, Lord. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth will be acceptable in your sight, my God and my Redeemer. And I pray that you would bless everyone in attendance here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, we're just going to jump right in. We're going to try to cover the first 25 verses of Luke chapter 5, just to give you an idea of where we're going. And I'm going to start by reading, well, the, the, the theme that I came up with for this section is Jesus calls his disciples and proves his power. So if you're taking notes, uh, you might want to jot that down. The first point is Jesus calls fishermen. Now, Jesus, as a rabbi... Uh, I was reading this week in my study that this is common to choose <coughs> disciples. Rabbis did it often in that culture. And so it's not the choosing of disciples that is interesting here. What is interesting, though, is he does not choose from the learned among them. Uh, in the book of Acts, which I referenced in the Breaking of Bread, it's evident that even after um, their three years with Jesus, Peter and John were perceived as unlearned men. And that these people that saw them marveled because of their understanding and they knew that they had been with Jesus. But this is the beginning of Jesus, or toward the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And so my first point is simply, Jesus calls fishermen. And let's look at the first 11 verses of Luke 5 here. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, 
that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering him said to him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nonetheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done, and when they had done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it. He fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth, you will catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, I, I tried to do a little bit of study and establish the timeline a little better. Maybe uh, someone can enlighten me after the service. But I seem to understand from what I read that this is slightly different from the time that. Jesus, that um, Andrew brings Peter to the Lord, saying, "We found the Messiah." Um, similarly, John and Andrew were following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." And John and Andrew said to Jesus, "Rabbi, where are you staying?" And so Jesus says, "Come and see." Now that seems like a simple exchange, but one that would ultimately change their lives. But the point being that it appears that that it wasn't until a little later after this that Jesus sees them at their boats, and he shows them by this miracle his power. And what does Peter do? Nobody told Peter this is the Son of God. Jesus didn't say a word about Peter's sin, and yet when Peter sees the miracle, he realizes by the power of the Spirit that this man is not a normal man. I don't know if you've ever felt this from anyone, but some people—I don't know if it's a gift of discernment or what it is—but they seem to have the ability. To look through you, and to know what you are feeling, what you are thinking. Nobody was better at this than the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord knew the hearts of men, so nobody had to tell him what the hearts of men were, or what was in there. <clears throat> But first of all, you have these seasoned fishermen. Who fished all night and they didn't catch a thing. Then Jesus, this rabbi, comes up to them and says, 
Let out your nets. And Peter already somehow had a sense that something was going to happen for he says, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we will let down the nets. And then when the boats are full to the point that they're sinking, imagine this. We don't know how many how many fish it was, but we know that these men knew what they were doing. And so these boats, I'm sure, were sufficient for most catches. And yet these boats, I think multiple boats, are sinking. And what is Peter's response? Rather than simply being overjoyed at the amount of fish he drops to his knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, as humans, our tendency is to put our best foot forward. And as we get to know one another, we might be a little more honest about how human we are. We all know that we are human, but we don't want anybody else to know it. But I think Peter instinctively knew that there was no process of that with the Lord. For he knew everything. And so when Peter is confronted with the Lord, he says, Depart from me, for I am an evil man. What does the Bible say about man's heart? It says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord, thank goodness, does not say to Peter, you're right. Be gone, you filthy sinner. No, he says this. Fear not. For henceforth, you will catch men. And when they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. That day, Peter started out as merely a fisherman, trying to make a living for his family. We know that he is one, he is at least, you know, he is one of the disciples that was married. We don't know if any of the other ones were, but we know that he had a wife. So I'm sure just providing for his family and keeping his business afloat, no pun intended, were his primary concerns. But when he ended that day, it says he forsook all and followed Jesus. I don't know what that involved. I don't know what the conversation Peter had with his wife that day. He said, I'm I'm giving up fishing. We're going to follow Jesus. 
I don't know what that was like. I don't know if she was always with him or if she only saw him every once in a while after that for a while. I don't know those details. What I do know is that it changed his life. When Jesus comes into a life, when Jesus impacts a life, it changes a life. And every life has one of two choices when it comes to encountering Jesus. Either they surrender to Him or they reject Him. Think of the rich young ruler when it comes to the rejection of Christ. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all that you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Because see, this man was going through all the laws and saying, I'm keeping them from my youth up. But Jesus knew, because He knew the heart of man, that there was an idol in that man's life that was more important than God. And that was his possessions. And the thing that always touches me about that story is that the man went away sorrowful and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. People think that God, who has these standards, hates sinners and He wants them to die. The real reality is He doesn't. He loves them. And He wants them to live. If they choose to go to hell because of their actions, because of their choices, that's not on Him. He gave the best He could give when He gave Himself to die for our sins. We just celebrated that in the Lord's Supper. And brothers and sisters, that never gets old to me. It's one of the best things I've experienced since coming to the assemblies at the age of 17 is the fact that every week we get a chance to spend an hour gazing at the cross because we so quickly forget. Well, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, but I know I quickly forget. So it's so good to have that opportunity. And James and John come along. I don't know if it was because of Peter's influence. He seems to be a pretty influential guy. When Peter does things, people want to follow. So it could be partially because of that. But these three men follow the call of Jesus. There's an interesting quote here that I want to share with you, and I don't know who said it, but he said, it says this, Some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. Now, if my supposition is correct, Peter had met Jesus. Andrew had said, We found the Messiah. 
Peter met Jesus. Jesus called him the rock. And a few days later, Jesus used the miracle of the fish to show Peter his power. And Peter felt the heat. And he fell down on his knees. And he humbled himself before God. And he would have to do this on more than one occasion. But the point being that he put himself in the perfect position to be used by God. See, we think God can only use us if we're something. But the reality is, He can only use us if we are nothing. Because He is the something working in us to do His work. And if we think we're something, there's not enough room for Him to do something. I just want to look by way of cross-reverence at John chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. Because Jesus not only does this fish miracle at the beginning of His ministry to show His disciples His power, He also does this at the end of His ministry, after He rises from the dead to prove once and for all to His disciples that He is alive. Does someone have John 21, 6 and 7? And he said unto them, I'm sorry. No problem. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And they cast therefore. And now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat about him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. I just really noticed in this passage the difference that three years makes. Three years ago, when Jesus and Peter are just starting out, Jesus says to Peter, or, or Peter says to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And in this encounter, Peter wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go toward Jesus. He's so excited that he doesn't even wait for the boat to get back to the shore. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. Because he wants to be with Jesus. And this is after, this is after he denied even knowing Him three times. And we know that Jesus met privately with Peter at some point. I'm not sure if it was before this point or after. But the point being that Peter was a changed man. 
And the Peter that we see in the last chapters of the Gospels is not the same Peter that we see in the first chapters of Acts who stands up and preaches boldly of the crucified and risen Christ. Because Christ changes people. The next story we have here is Jesus healing of the leper. This is in Luke 5, 12 to 16. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priests, and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But... So, but so much the more went there a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and be healed of him by their infirmities and he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In this passage, even as I studied it, this particular portion of it kind of confused me. It still does. Because I always wondered why Jesus would say that. I'm healing you of this great disease which nobody gave you any hope from being cured of. I healed you instantly. And he says, don't tell anybody. And yet even though he says don't tell anybody, everybody finds out. Because it's so obvious. But I see in this passage a respect that Jesus had for the law. You see, people think that Jesus came to destroy the law. But what did he say? He said, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he says to this man, go and offer yourself to the priests. Give your offering. And this, of course, is from Leviticus. And there's, there's, specu- there's a variety of speculations um, in the things that I read about why he wouldn't want people to tell him, tell uh, others. And I kind of like the, the one that says that he didn't want people to follow him for the wrong reason. Now don't get me wrong, I think he delighted to heal people that called upon him in faith. But that wasn't why he healed. He healed to show his power. And as we'll see in the next story that we're going to read here today, he healed to show that above all else, he had power on earth. To forgive 
sin. This man was dying. He was an outcast of society. He had no hope. And Jesus touched him and said by a word, I will be thou clean. You know, we can make an analogy to that for our sin. Whatever you've done in your past, Jesus took it on the cross. He can say to you, if you are trapped in sin and mire, and you call upon Him in faith, I will be thou clean. So one of the questions that I have for you today is, Are you clean? Notice I didn't say, are you perfect? Because only God is perfect. But He offers His cleansing to you and to me. I have partaken of His cleansing. I know what it feels like. And I can tell you, there's nothing to match it. Are you clean today? I hope and pray that you are. Could somebody read from John chapter 4, verses 50 to 53? Here we see, again, a story of the power of the Word of God and how God healed this man's servant. And he goes down. First of all, he believes in faith because Jesus didn't even come with him. He says, your servant is healed. He didn't say your servant will be healed. He said your servant is healed. And then he went down to his servant. And he found his servant healed. And he said, when was my servant healed? And they said the hour. And it was the very hour that Jesus said the words. The power of the word of God. And the greatest thing in that passage, though, is the last phrase. And he believed. And all his house. You see, if physical healing is all that's going to happen, there's no point. 
When Lazarus was risen from the dead, guess what? He died again. I always wonder what that must have been like. Like he's, he's dead. He comes back from the dead. And then a few years later, whenever it was, he dies again. I wonder if his first words were, I'm back. I don't know. But the point is, he, he died again. But Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead. I am he that liveth to die no more. And see, when you believe in him, you will live to die no more. And whether you have a healthy body to live your life and go through all your life with, or whether you are in a wheelchair like myself, you know that eventually you will live to die no more. And your infirmities, whatever they are, on this earth will be gone. There's no wheelchairs in heaven. They're not allowed. And then just to underscore the change that God makes in a person's life, there's this quote by R. Stedman. Not sure who he is, but I liked this. It says, An alcoholic became a believer and was asked how he could possibly believe all the nonsense in the Bible about miracles. You don't believe that Jesus turned the water into wine, do you? The man replied, I sure do. Because in our house, he changed the whiskey into furniture. God is in the life-changing business. If you want a good program about that, I recommend highly the program Unshackle. I like their tagline. It says that Unshackled is produced to show that if your life is empty, it can be filled to overflowing. And if you uh, want to look that up and find it on iTunes and listen to it each week, it will be an encouragement to you. Because the God of the Bible still lives. And the God of the Bible is still in the life-changing business. And it's so exciting to be a part of His work. Okay. Our third and final story for the day is one that I particularly resonate with. And uh, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which came out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, 
Men, uh, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they saw a means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went to the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, Why reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Now there's a couple of things I want to bring out here. First of all, you've got these religious leaders who are sitting there watching Jesus. They probably made sure they got the primo seats because they, they love the high seats and the praise of men. And they're sitting there, which part of me doesn't understand why they were around so much because they didn't really like what Jesus had to say. But they're sitting there and this, all of a sudden, picture this. They start feeling roof tiles on the shoulders of their garments. I always picture this in my mind when I read that. They reach over, start brushing it off. And as they look up, they see a man sick with the palsy. I have what's called cerebral palsy, so I guess I even more resonate with this than some other stories. But they see him coming down. And Jesus realizes the faith of his friends. Must have realized the faith of this man as well. And you think, okay, now is the perfect time to just heal him and get it over with. But that's not where Jesus starts. He knows that this man has a greater need, and that need is to have his sins forgiven. So he says to that man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And... Even if it had stopped there, that man would have been better off than most of those Pharisees there that day. Because those Pharisees didn't think they needed their sins forgiven. They thought they had attained to perfection. And Jesus said, if you think you've attained to perfection, I cannot help you. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then they start thinking in their minds. They're not even talking out loud. They're like, no one has the power on earth to forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus, he reads their thoughts. Now, I, I have to wonder, because I know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Amathea were kind of in this grouping of people. 
And I kind of have to wonder if maybe this was one of the events that started them thinking that Jesus was who he said he was. Because obviously he's telling them their very thoughts. For them to totally ignore that just doesn't seem to be right. If you could tell me what I'm thinking right now, first I would be pretty freaked out. But then I would probably have to listen to what you had to say. But anyway, so that you know, he says, so that you know that I have power on earth to forgive sins, rise up and walk, he says to the man. And the man gets up, takes up his bed, and walks out, glorifying God. But see, the number one reason was not for the healing of the man physically. The number one reason was for the healing of the man spiritually. I had a conversation last night with a friend of mine who is very dear to me. I met her a few years ago. And a couple times now, she has texted me that she received a dream, which she believes is from the Lord, that I will be walking before heaven. And I've had people come up to me at various times in my life, first time I didn't deal with it very well, and tell me that if I had enough faith to believe that I could be healed, then I would be. For the most part, I'm very content as I am. There are times when I'm frustrated, like when I have a whole bunch of tasks that I want to complete, and I want to be up by 7, and my brother rolls in to get me up about 8.30. Or, particularly... It affects me when it comes to praying for a future spouse and pursuing that type of relationship because it seems that a lot of people are afraid of the things they don't know. And there have been many nights when I've laid awake and, and in my weaker moments wished that at least for this one reason that I could have a whole body so that I could have more than just a crippled body to offer a godly woman as a husband. But I'll tell you the same thing I told my friend last night. If God chose to heal me here on this earth, I would be very happy. But I believe two things about my disability. First of all, I believe that God is doing things through my infirmity that He would not be doing otherwise. And secondly, I believe that He has kept me closer to Him because I am in this wheelchair than I would be if I wasn't. And I'm constantly encouraged by Paul in his response to his thorn in the flesh. He says this, Jesus said to me, no, three times. And then He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. For my grace is sufficient for you. Paul knew that more power of God's grace was resting on him because of his infirmity. And I think so often, even myself, we want to get out of a trial, out of a present situation, and God's not always saying, I want to get you out. He's saying, I want to walk with you through. I won't read the last 
cross-reference, but if you want to write it down to read later on, it's John 5, 8-13. And the significance of this one, I think, is this, this other lame man, he was lame for 38 years, so he wasn't lame from birth. And then Jesus said to him, after he heals him, he says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing befall you. So the idea is that this man might have done something to cause his ailment. And then the humorous thing to me is that the man picks up his bed and walks because Jesus tells him to. And the Pharisees say to him, regardless of the fact that they knew that he was lame for 38 years, they knew who he was, they saw him at the pool every day, and yet they still say to him, why are you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? They don't even... It doesn't even register to them that this man who's been lame for 38 years is carrying anything. It's, it's funny. Uh, God has a sense of humor. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, getting under their hackles. I just want to finish with this final illustration and then I will close in prayer. Billy Sunday said this, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. There are 256 names given in the Bible for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I suppose this was because he was infinitely beyond all that any one name could express. What does Hebrews say about him? It says, He that cometh to him must believe that he is. Come. He doesn't say what he is, because anything you can think of that we need, he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another great study in the book of Luke. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to Live a life that is such that will bring others to the kingdom. Lord, we pray that we would be content. We pray that you would be with us in our discouragements. pray that you would bear us up when we feel like we can't take another step. Lord, I pray that if there be anyone in this room that does not know you, that does not have the comfort of knowing that you will walk with them through any trial, that, that they would find you today, that they would do business with you, that today would be the day of their salvation, and that if they have any questions, that they would ask me or someone else here so that we can show them the path of life. In Jesus' name, amen.